evening everyone, everyone on Zoom. I'll just say a few words tonight about right and wrong. When you reflect on it, the world is awash with right and wrong. And often in our private and family lives as well as in public lives, in newspapers and the media, um, in gossip, in offices, it's full of it. Mm-hmm. And um, there are comments you find in, in Zen poems and Zen sutras about being being a person of right and wrong, sort of defined by right and wrong, thinking right and wrong all the time. And you miss the wonder of life by being caught up in that all of the time. I'd like to begin by just reciting a poem which is by... Um, got the author's name somewhere here... Yehudi Amichai, and it's translated by Stephen Mitchell, an old friend of mine. So it's uh, Jewish, I would assume. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plough, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Lovely poem. Those last lines, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood, reminds me of a, a well-known um, phrase that Joko used to repeat all the time. Um, On a withered branch, a flower blooms. A whisper is there where once the ruined house stood. Something something alive comes out of the um, the ruin, right? The falling away. Mm-hmm. Falling away of the ego identity. Mm-hmm. Um, when I uh, looked at uh, some of the, the comments um, other um, Buddhist teachers make about right and wrong, um, it's somewhat helpful and somewhat not. But people talk about their experience, experiences growing up in communities, um, conservative communities, where everyone knew what was right and wrong. <laughs> right? And there's those who are right and those who are wrong, and how rigid it was, you know, which um, is, it's important to, to point out the rigidity of that. But then, like a lot of Zen people too, they then jump into the absolute say, well, really, don't know mind. You know, we, we don't know what's right and wrong. If you dwell in the don't know mind, that's better than dwelling in right and wrong. And I understand what they mean because there's very little that we know in life that is absolutely certainly true, perhaps outside a few mathematical, mathematical formulas. <laughs> uh, um, but apart from that, there's nothing we really know with absolute certainty. But when we're caught up in right and wrong, particularly the right part, you know, it's like it's like we're absolutely certain in an uncertain world. Mm-hmm. So there is a point to be made there about dwelling in don't know mind. Um, but the actuality is in everyday life is sometimes there is a clear-cut right and a wrong, you know, um, and sometimes we're right, you know, and sometimes we're wrong. They're much more. There's reasonable doubt involved, right? That maybe we're right or we're wrong, 
and someone else has got different, a wrong perception or got wrong information about whatever. But if we if we just stuck purely to the absolute, you know, don't know mind, have no conceptual take on the world, well, we might as well give, do away with courts of law and so on, you know, because we could never convict anyone. <laughs> so it's all very fine, you know, to identify the rigidity that we get caught up in with right and wrong and how that's not really morally intelligent. But just to speak from this absolute point of view doesn't have a lot of application in the world. But I think that what the way of working with this from a moral intelligence point of view as well as an emotional intelligence point of view is sometimes we are right, um, but if you're working with it in a Dharma sense, sometimes you are right, but the point is to be right without being superior. Mm -hmm or turning rightness into an identity. See, I'm always right, mm -hmm. therefore I'm superior. Or, or the opposite, you know, I'm always wrong, you know, um, and turning that into an identity. The person who apologises all the time and says sorry all the time when they don't need to, um, you, can be, you can be caught in that as well. So it's a matter of sometimes being right without being superior um, and recognising that you're not always right, that you make mistakes as well. It has a humility in it. And, and you can be wrong without being inferior. Mm -hmm. That's important to recognise that as well. You can be wrong without being inferior. But I think that what happens um, as we grow up, um, you know, the feeling of being right is like having your tyres pumped up. Right, and the feeling of being wrong is like you know your, your tires are deflated, and and that's not probably an analogy which is close to describing what our experience is like because when we feel right, um, and it can have a feeling of superiority or self righteousness to it, um, there is a feeling of being pumped up, and and. Uh, and being wrong is, is the opposite. And it's interesting looking at the emotions that, that are one of the primary emotions that are there about being wrong, which is the emotion of shame, right? Or the, the emotion of remorse. So if we feel wrong, um, we have um, to some degree a, a sort of shame reaction. And what shame is, it's actually neurologically, it's a it's a parasympathetic nervous system response where it's like everything shuts down, right, and the bottom falls out. Right? You, you, if you just tap into that experience of what's like, it's like, oh, it's like you've collapsed and the bottom's fallen out of your world. And it's such a, such a dreadful experience, like particularly for a child to experience, um, but everyone probably does experience it because we're corrected by our parents. Um, as we grow up, but if it's really harsh and there's no forgiveness or now no reconnection happens fairly after, fairly soon after, that sense of being wrong and being shamed is just so dreadful that we'll avoid it at all costs. Right? And so to use 
Buddhist basic Buddhist psychology principles, we we cling to being right and we desperately avoid being wrong because feeling wrong and feeling shame is just so terrible. Right? And so they're the they're the emotional motivations about needing to be right all the time. So if you're right all the time, then you can't feel shame, you're bulletproof. Mm-hmm. And you can make other people feel ashamed, but you'll never be ashamed. And that's the emotional underpinning around a lot of that clinging to right and wrong um, that goes on. And it's also linked in to group behaviour, you know, interpersonal behaviour, because gossiping, for instance, is a form of we're right, they're wrong. (laughs) And, um, And gossiping in a dysfunctional kind of way, is a strange kind of way of people bonding together. So if all we're all right, and they're all wrong out there, or that person's wrong out there, then we're, we're bonding. You know, we, we actually belong in the group. We're not on the outside, but they're on the outside. And uh, so it has that strange kind of bonding experience, which makes it so enticing to get caught up in. Um, but there's bonding and there's bonding. Mm-hmm. We don't have to gossip to bond it with other people. There's other ways we can do it through healthy compassion and connection and joy and fun, etc. Um, but if we've never learnt that skill, then I guess gossiping seems very attractive, you know, and being, being right and avoiding being wrong. Um, so um, it's an important part of of Dharma practice um, to see that sometimes other people are our teachers and they're pointing out to us where we've caused harm and a mature person, a mature Zen practitioner can take that in instead of being having a, a knee-jerk defensive reaction against it, can take it in and kind of absorb it and sit with it and um, and without, this is the important part, without spiralling down into that shame collapse, right? Uh, so it's like, okay, I could have been wrong there. I could have caused harm. Let's reflect on it. Let's sit with it. Let's try and see myself through other people's eyes. And maybe, and maybe I might see their position has perhaps got some truth in it. And I don't have to collapse. Because if you do collapse, it usually will go pretty badly from now on. Because not only it's not only a sense of collapse that usually ends later with being angry about being accused about something. You know, it le- it leads to anger somewhere along the line. It just doesn't stay in shame. We often refer to that in psychotherapeutic terms as a shame blame cycle. Like I feel ashamed. And then I feel so angry that I've been shamed that I'll blame. And it goes round and round and round. So sometimes in life we are reasonably right. right? And it's important not to be superior. And sometimes we're wrong. And it's important we don't spiral down into inferiority. Um, and to state the words of one of the precepts, we then meet people on equal ground. Mm. Sometimes we can be right, sometimes we can be wrong. 
but there's another place where we meet people on equal ground and where we can really bond at that level rather than a forced kind of bonding. <coughs>